Hey, it's me, your internet pal, John Gruber. I am here at home in Philadelphia, not in California for WWDC because you are probably at home too because we're all at home. Uh, it is a very different WWDC and it is a very different <laughs> edition of the talk show from WWDC because it's not really uh, from WWDC. It is what it is. And I miss you all. It is very different to be here in my office all by myself than to be on stage in front of a thousand people. But I'm happy to be here talking to you. And I have some great guests and a great conversation coming up. But I also have some fantastic sponsors. And I want to tell you about them right now. And no pun intended, the first is literally fantastic. It is Flexibits. Flexibits are the makers of two fantastic apps, Fantastic Cal and Cardhop, which is a contact management app for the iPhone, for Mac. Uh, as you probably know, because it got a lot of press, they launched Fantastic Cal Premium earlier this year, and it is a major upgrade across all platforms, Mac, iOS, iPad, uh, watch. They have a fantastic watch app with really, really, really clever complications, which is my favorite way for third-party developers to integrate with Apple Watch. Uh, they switched to a subscription. It's about three bucks a month, give or take, depending how you play it monthly or annually. And to me, this is Again, I'm going to overuse the word, but it's in their name, so I feel free doing it. Fantastic. It's so much easier. It is one way you pay. It keeps development going, and it lets them focus on the platforms across the board without worrying about upgrading this app, upgrading that app. It really just lets them move Fantastical forward as a single platform across Mac, iOS, iPhone. Uh just odd feature that I happened to discover. I've got this other podcast, Dithering, that I've started, and Ben Thompson and I manage the calendar through Exchange, and Exchange manages calendars through something called a delegate, which I never heard of. Uh, Fantastical actually makes this incredibly easy, and doing it through the other calendar stuff built into the system uh, confused the heck out of me. And I couldn't get it working. And I thought, well, maybe I should just try it in Fantastical, which I use anyway. And it was like super easy and obvious. And I'm like, why did I even try this the other way first? Really, really great. They just came out with the 3.1 update to Fantastical, which is sort of their unofficial work from home upgrade. Uh, a couple of features in 3.1 are timed calendar sets. So you could have like a set of calendars that show up from, let's say, nine in the morning till five at night, and then have a different set of calendars automatically kick in after five or after six or whenever you stop working, uh, just so that you see a different set of things. Maybe you have like your TV shows or something like that on your evening calendar. You don't want to see your work stuff you can do that, time calendars, and automatic conference call detection. Even me, who works by myself, I am on way more conference calls working from home in this quarantine than I ever would have imagined. Fantastical makes that so much easier with getting conference calls detected, set up, scheduled. Really great. They have a special offer for talk show viewers. 
20% off their monthly or annual plans. So you get 20% off a month, a single month, no commitment, try it for a month, save 20%. That's cool. Or, and seriously, this is where you can really save big bucks. 20% off an entire year. It's by far their best deal. You will save almost 50% off what you would be paying on a regular month-to-month plan. 20% off the annual plan would get you 50% off what you would pay monthly. The special offer is only available through July 10th. So you should go start your 14-day free trial right now. 14-day free trial, by the way. You could just try it for free. 14 days Make sure Fantastic Cal is for you. Just go to flexibits.com slash talk show. Flexibits, F-E-L-X-I-B-I-T-S dot com. Like it was Flexibits, but they pronounce it Flexibits. Flexibits.com slash talk show. And uh, again, 14-day free trial. Next sponsor, another great company, another regular sponsor on the show, Collide. K-O-L-I-D-E. Collide is a security product for fast-growing companies that want to secure their Mac, Windows, and Linux devices. It is built around the principle of bringing together your company's security team and the users as equal partners, not adversaries. To get your users on the same team as security working together just to keep everything secure as opposed to feeling like they're locking you out or locking you down. Collide loves the Mac, and they did not create a product that simply locks it down. They believe that when you limit devices, you limit the people using them. And so you end up creating barriers that prevent them from getting their best work done. Instead, Collide monitors Macs with safe, open-source tools that make sure that they follow your company's security policy. If they find a problem... They message the Mac's primary user on Slack using a bot. So it'll walk them through the policy, share instructions that will help them fix the problem, get their Mac into compliance with your company's policy, and even confirm that they fixed it properly, all right there within the Slack chat window. It's really, really clever, really great, really convenient, and people really love interacting with it this way. It's free to try, 30 days on all your devices, and you can sign up on their website today. But before I go, here's the reason they wanted to sponsor this show, to reach the biggest audience of the year at Daring Fireball. They have a big announcement, a special announcement for the WWDC show. Uh, Today, for the first time ever, Collide is excited to announce that they are taking their philosophy of user-focused security, and they are applying it to the MDM space, mobile device management. Throughout this year, They have been busy already conceiving a product that asks, how can the MDM protocol be used for the user's benefit, not just the employer's? It's MDM completely rethought that puts the user first. They're launching it later this year. But if you're interested, go to collide.com, K-O-L-I-D-E.com slash MDM and learn more about it. Get on the list early. This is something that they are opening up just for you the listeners of this show. Now, third and final sponsor. First time on the show. Happy to have them. It's a great product. Scrum Center. Scrum is the leading agile framework. And hundreds of thousands of teams around the world have found that it helps them focus, innovate, and deliver great results. 
It's not just for software teams, which is what most people think of when they hear agile development. It's for marketing teams, hardware teams, anybody in management who is looking to respond to change rather than just blindly follow a preset plan. And quite frankly, that really sounds like the recipe for dealing with the entire world right now, right? Not just sticking to a plan, dealing with change as it comes. Scrum Center is based in Scotland. Their partner, Grow Beyond, is based in Denmark. And they, together, have a shared mission to help you grow in your own agile capability through consulting, training, and coaching. Their courses are ideal for any teams looking to start in Scrum and Agile, and they are equally valuable for established and advanced practitioners who already are into it, who are looking to move on to the next level with formal training to back up their hands-on experience. If that sounds like you, get in touch with them. Now, due to COVID-19, the whole quarantine, they have moved to online training. And they have been delighted at the reception they've gotten so far. Not only do their courses work, but the feedback they've been getting is great. Uh, Everybody is finding the courses engaging, fun, valuable. They're really happy and they've been doing it now for months. Their costs for online training are lower than for in-person training. And they're passing the cost savings on as lower ticket prices for everyone. And they're delighted to offer the talk show listeners and viewers, whether you're watching on audio or video, uh, although I guess you'd be listening on audio, watching on video. Anyway, when you go to sign up, enter the promo code TTS, the talk show TTS. When you purchase tickets, you'll activate the offer and save 20%. There's never been a more affordable way to take your next step on your agile journey. Go to scrumcenter.com. Scrumcenter.com is the URL. And just remember that promo code TTS and you'll save 20%. Now, uh, I said before, one of the things I miss, I'll admit it, I miss having a thousand people cheer when I come out here to start the show. Uh, I don't have it. I've got nobody cheering for me right now. Uh, But I miss the interpersonal stuff. I miss seeing each one of you who come to the show. I miss meeting you after the show. I miss seeing you around San Jose. Uh, But I also miss my friends. And one of my friends, uh, my good friend Paul Kafasis, I've had the privilege. He has a great voice, just a a natural voice. Ah, sounds so good. I've had him do the announcement before the show for years. In fact, I, I can't remember. I don't know if I've ever even done one of these live shows where it wasn't Paul backstage with a microphone doing the ladies and gentlemen, here's John Gruber. And then that's how I come out. And it's like part of the thing. I see my friend, Paul, he announces me, uh, here I already am though. I don't need an introduction. I'm already talking to you. I'm right here. Um, but what I thought I could do is I could bring Paul in and have Paul introduce my guests for the show. Welcome to this very special socially distant episode of the talk show live this episode is coming to you from apple's worldwide developer conference 2020 sort of join us as we welcome apple's own craig federighi and greg joswiak craig 
Jaws, welcome uh, to the talk show again. It is slightly different than last year. Uh, <laughs> Just <slightly>. a tad. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what, no. What do you mean by that? <laughs> that was my shirt. We well, have way I'm, more curved glass this year. Yeah. Way more curved glass, way, <laughs> way fewer cheering audience members. <laughs> yeah. We miss them. Um, Craig, you didn't even get to run onto the stage. <laughs> I really feel restrained right now. This is, this is, I'm in a little, I'm stuck on a chair. This is tough. You yeah, did you run. Missed it. We had a stopwatch on them, and every every time we're like, "You can do better. You can go faster than that. We need this to go quicker." There's people are wa- waiting for you. It was awesome. That's right. The marketing team is very demanding. <laughs> I did think, I, I, just at a meta level, briefly, uh, uh, I did. I, I really enjoyed the keynote, and uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that the format gave people who've never been there, and that's most people who watch these, a better sense of the geography of the Steve Jobs Theater. You know, they're, they're, mm. you know, everybody knows what the stage looks like. That's what you see when you watch a keynote. But after Tim spoke and they pulled out and they went to, I don't even know what you call that, the, the white area, the hands-on area <laughs> right outside. Hands-on the great area. white cylindrical area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then you go upstairs and there's a very nice atrium pavilion with the glass walls and you can see, see the rest of the park. But I felt like that gave everybody a, a three-dimensional sense of it that I don't think they got before. Well, and, and the drone trip, of course, to and from the fitness center, uh, right, which right. was super cool way to see the campus. We thought people would get an appreciation for that kind of seeing, seeing as Tim said, our home here at Apple Park. People don't normally get a chance to see that. Yeah, and those parts of the Steve Jobs Theater are just so cool uh, that it was it was amazing to get to show them off actually, and to use the space in this this new way that I think we hadn't previously envisioned. Uh, no. And it was <laughs> no, it was it was a real it was a really great opportunity for sure. I, I will say before we move on to actual topics, I will say I think that they fudged. I think you guys fudged the running up the stairs. Uh, no what? way, man! <laughs> Come on, no way. <laughs> I, I I trained you, for that for months. You are doubting the speed of Craig Federighi. That's that's unheard of. It's a lot. I can of beat stairs. a crane any day of the week. Up, I'm up a telling you, stairs. He is the fastest software engineering senior VP you have ever seen. I'll, I'll put him against any other tech company. He is he's fast. Yeah, check Wikipedia uh, against all senior VPs of software. I mean, I'm right up there in the ratings. It's, uh... All right, I did. Wait, I, I'll bet. I would bet. I mean, you know, no offense. I'll bet you could beat Phil in a race. <laughs> Untested. <laughs> Untested. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen Phil run. I think he would surprise you. Uh, yeah, my, my, I think it'd be close race. Closer than you think. <laughs> I have, Jaws, you'll be happy to know, I have my usual assortment of blue note cards full of questions. We are never going to get to all of them. There was a lot of stuff announced yesterday. Before we get into WWDC announcements, though, I do want to talk a little bit about the App Store. It's been in the news a little bit in the last week, and we could easily spend a a whole show, a whole two-hour show, talking about the App Store. We can't. We don't have time. I would just like to say at the highest level, without getting into any specific issues, are you guys listening to developer feedback on 
where they feel about the app store and where third-party developers feel their their position in the app store is. Oh, absolutely, John. I mean, you know, when you look at the app store, I mean, this whole week is about developers, right? It's about providing information for developers, listening to developers. And, you know, I, I've been around for a long time, you know, that I've been at Apple for decades. And I look back at what we've done with the App Store and the iPhone and the way we've changed the daily lives of users and developers in a way that's almost hard to remember what things were like. Uh, I remember what software development and distribution was prior to 2008. If you were a small developer, it was pretty hard to get a title published. And if you did get a title published, it meant you went to a publisher, uh, and after the publisher and the channel took their cut, you were left as a, as a small software developer with, with very little. Uh, and again, that's assuming you even got published. And we revolutionized that. We changed that. We, we leveled the playing field. So whether you were a small developer or a big developer, we gave you a way to, to, to get distribution, and not just local distribution, you get worldwide distribution uh, with the App Store, and it changed everything. Right, we have two million apps now. We, uh, you know, as I said, we've changed the daily lives of our users and our developers. And all along the way, we've tried to listen. Right, we try to, to pay attention to what our developers are saying, not just in weeks like this, but certainly during weeks like this. And we've made a lot of changes along the way. As a matter of fact, yesterday we put out a, a, a pretty big release, uh, which I, I, you know, urge you to go look at. That showed, you know, here are the things that we're doing for developers this week. Everything from APIs and tools that are changing, as well as new ways to provide us feedback uh, and new ways to even challenge, you know, decisions that we make. You know, we're we're all about what we can do together. I mean, that's what you know, Tim was saying. The world is counting on all of us, Apple and our developers, to help us move forward. You know, that's why we put so much effort into this week. That's why we put so much effort, as you saw, into the keynote, into these sessions. It's about what uh, Apple and developers can do to help move things forward. And I'm proud of that. I'm super proud of that. Okay. Um, on to the news. And yes, there is a lot of it. <laughs> um, I'm going to start with the Mac because the Mac is the part that I do not want to run out of time on, on this show. Uh, and I, you know, I know you guys aren't going to analyze and I know all of your platforms are just like your children. You cannot pick a favorite. Um, I can say though, that the Mac is my favorite platform. Um, or at least it's the one that's the nearest and dearest to my heart. And I think it was Craig that you said it is the one that you guys yourselves use to make your other platforms is that, you know, can you speak to that? That's right. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I think, uh, while you're right, we can't, we can't pick a, a favorite child here. I think for, for many of us, the Mac, it's hard to separate the path and history of the Mac from our own careers, our own lives. I mean, the Mac is why so many of us got into computing in the first place, got into being software engineers, caring about design. Uh, the Mac is, uh, uh, it's pretty deep in all of our all of our souls. So uh, to to get to this year announce such tremendous investments into the future of the Mac. You know the Mac's had this incredible history, and now even decades in, uh, you know we're showing this is just the beginning for the Mac. That we are bringing all of Apple's best talents and technologies to the to bear on building the best Macs we can for a long, long time to come. So it was a 
fantastic day for all of all of us to finally get to to re- reveal how much effort we're putting into the Mac and where we want to take it. So, at a high level, and I've we've it, this has come up now. It's we've done this show enough years in a row where it's almost a recurring theme, and I sense a certain frustration. And and a year ago, um, at WWDC. There was a, a part where I think it was when you were introducing Catalyst or maybe right before, but it was you would directly head on address the question, are we merging the iOS and Mac platforms into one? And then a giant no drops out of the sky <laughs> on this screen. No, period. And, and with a big animated yeah. effect. And I feel like you guys were like, what more can we say? And then <laughs> the speculation continues unabated that you guys are phasing out the Mac. It's you guys probably are bored with it. It's a legacy platform. <laughs> is, is there a We're sense- picking a weird way to show it, aren't we? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, but that's just the thing is you guys have created, there's new API, not, not just APIs. New APIs come out every WWDC, but th- literally new ways that developers can think about creating Mac apps. We'll get into it as a separate thing, but literally a yeah. new a new hardware platform, uh, a all new user interface from corner to corner. You know, in the this is a platform that you guys are fully focused on. Oh yeah, no. I mean, you you you've you've said it. Uh, I mean, just at every everywhere you turn, we're putting massive investments into driving the Mac forward in in big bold ways as you say you know you look at you know we introduced swift ui last year and we made sure that swift ui was a great way to build native mac apps you can build them on top of all of our ui platforms we've continued to invest on taking the ui kit sdk and making it a great way to build native mac apps uh, and as you point out, I mean, the, the new user interface uh, design language that we introduced this year in Big Sur, um, obviously a huge investment in vitality in the platform. And then the investment we've made in bringing great new apps and first-class app experiences. You know, it's uh, many of us use messages across all our devices and very often on our Macs uh, con- constantly. And so to be able to bring the full capabilities of messages and to be on a path where it can always be current with all the latest capabilities we add is just such a great path ahead for us. So yeah, we, we love the Mac and we're all in. Yeah. John, if I could just say from a a marketing or business standpoint, it would make no sense, right? It would make no sense. You know, the, the, the Mac is a, is a giant successful business that decades later is still vibrant and still flourishing. And part of the reason for that, by the way, is, as Tim said, because with the Mac business, we haven't been afraid to make bold changes to embrace new innovations in order to keep the Mac relevant and at the forefront of personal computing. And our goal is to make it the best personal computer in the world. And we're doing that, right? We lead the industry in customer satisfaction, and it's a growing business. The iPad, we want to make it the best tablet. And guess what? We lead the industry in customer satisfaction, and it's a giant business. There's no reason you would 
merge those, right? And at an emotional level, I can tell you to, to the point of Craig and Alan in the video, we're, we're far from bored with the Mac. It's, it's in our DNA, right? It's, it is the way we do so much of our jobs. So I don't know how many other ways we can say no, but yeah. I guess we're going to use a bigger font next year. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about messages because that is a, to me, it's a perfect tie-in with Catalyst. And Catalyst you guys said it. It's not like this is me reading between the lines, but you guys have said this is a multi-year, uh, not a transition, but a multi-year process of getting this from here's the first version that we're showing you to here's Catalyst as a fully developed, uh, mature set of APIs. And... I, I don't know if you've noticed, I've had some words to say about some of the Catalyst apps that we've seen previously. Oh, um, you don't say. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. But I have, have tried to. I, I, and, and they have been largely skeptical. I think, it, I would hope, is, is a fair judgment because... Rather than trying to say, well, this is deficient in X, Y, Z ways, or I, I don't like this or that, or this seems limited, period, that means Catalyst is no good. It is, this is just the way it is right now. And, you know, just to name one example, in, in the Mac developer app, which is great to have because there was no Mac developer app before, but it was, it, on Catalina, you, when you go to full screen video, it doesn't jump out to full screen. It only fills the window. And then if you make the window full screen, you still have the window Chrome on the full screen. And it just seems a little limiting that full screen video in the Mac developer app isn't just full screen video. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, th I think you're, look, you, you start out by saying uh, what I think we've said many times, which is we do view uh, Catalyst as a, it has been a major multi-year uh, initiative for us. And it's, it's not something that is, uh, is done in year one or even year two. And we've known from the outset where we were headed. Um, we, we knew, in fact, that Catalyst would also be a foundation for a feature we announced yesterday with uh, the ability to actually directly run uh, iOS and iPad apps on Mac Silicon, which is another, another use of that same uh, core technology. Uh, but along the way, we knew it's, it's, it's no small matter to take a framework that was initially a set of APIs that were initially designed um, for touch and to bring them to be, provide all of the full fidelity of the Mac experience. Um, but we've been doing it. And part of the way we do it, of course, is to exercise it internally. Part of the way we do it is to get it out there to developers in its earlier stages to get feedback and understand what people need. Um, pushing it all the way to a really core system app like Messages, though, is is one of the ultimate tests, right? There's, there's no... Uh, and no, no, no grounds for uh, error. I think on uh, on messages, we need it to be great. We need it to be a core Mac experience. Uh, we also pushed it hard with the new version of Maps, and all of this helped us further mature Catalyst, further refine its ability to provide a really full fidelity Mac experience. 
Uh, and we think that's, we know that's great for us in terms of how it's enabled us to bring more apps that are, uh, at, you know, completely full featured, uh, whether that's Swift playgrounds or messages or maps, uh, and have that path ahead to keep them, uh, current. But we also know it's, it's matured that foundation such that many, many more developers can bring much richer, much better apps. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to find some whole. Oh, we are we are not done. I'm not declaring victory at the end of year three. But I hope we've turned the corner. And I'll say I'll say to you, I hope we've turned. We will turn the corner with you this year, where it's no longer about skepticism with the overall enterprise, but an understanding that hey, we're well along a journey, and it's not perfect. But boy, this is obviously going the right way, and this is going to take us to great places. That's what we've known and believed for years now. I hope it'll be purely evident to, to you and to the rest of the community um, how great this is going to be for, uh, for the Mac over time. I think, I, so I, you know, this is about 24 hours after the keynote, uh, so I can't say that I've spent tons of time with all of the stuff you've announced yeah. yesterday. I literally could have stayed up all night and I wouldn't be able to have played with all the stuff. If you One- really cared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I did do, though, is I did install the Big Sur developer beta. And the app that I played with the most is Messages. And I will say, honestly, my first impression is this is this is a great new version of Messages. And it doesn't feel... And again, I'm trying to be fair here and, and you know, take away what I know, like, my thoughts on Catalyst, what I know Catalyst apps were like, just look at this with fresh eyes. And as somebody who uses messages on the Mac and has ever since you guys shipped it uh, seven, eight, nine years ago, whenever that was, um, this feels like messages. It feels like a new version with new features. And it also, it feels and looks like a great Mac app, which, uh, you know, at zooming out to the highest level, that should be the goal. The goal should be... Absolutely. Let's let's make this framework, this set of APIs for developers, a great way for developers to make great Mac apps. And I think messages, from what I've seen, first impression, twenty four hours in, it meets the goal. This feels like a like flagship catalyst. Yeah, and I, I just want to say, like, certainly all credit due. Um, not just to the Catalyst team, but to the Messages app team. You know, building a great Mac app, and I'm sh- I know you believe this as much or more than anyone, is is ultimately the result of the care for the craftsmanship of the developers involved. Right? They've got to care about the platform. They've got to live and breathe the platform. Uh, and so, building building a great Mac app involves caring about the Mac and investing in the Mac. And uh, our our Messages team, and you know, this year. Uh, the maps team i mean these people have have done great work and taken cr- tremendous pride in building great apps for the mac and we want uh, all of our developers to to have the tools uh to to bring their apps uh, to the mac and to to learn to bring the passion for the craftsmanship that the mac deserves and so i just want to say i I think our team uh, really did a great job there we're not done this is a first beta i think it's a fantastic first beta by the way i hope as you try uh uh, all of our betas this year that you 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 feel the the care that's gone into them uh but it but it's still just our first beta and we're going to be working throughout the summer of course to uh continue (laughs) making these great so in other words beta still means beta beta still means beta (laughs) 
<laughs> but 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 I I, uh, I I'm I'm very uh, happy with what the team's been able to to achieve this year in this first beta. Well, I don't know if you noticed. I I know you guys don't really pay attention to the rumors. <laughs> Because you don't need to, but there was a rumor uh, several weeks ago that the that the new version of Messages was going to be built using Catalyst, and you know I don't try to go in. I was like, hey, I can wait. I'll find out what we're going to find out. But my thought was, I hope so, because I know that Messages truly is a tier one app for you guys. I know that you know it is huge. For your customers, not just on the, the iPhone and iPad, but that messages from Mac is as big as it gets for your customers. And I also know that you guys use it internally. It is an important tool yeah. for you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we, we, we care about it very much. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so here's my next question on that front. Historically speaking, when there was the, one of the big transitions in Apple history was the transition from the classic Mac OS to Mac OS X. And that was a software transition, not a hardware transition. But, um, part of that was there were classic carbon APIs and then there were the new Cocoa APIs. And the message to developers from Apple was relatively simple. It, you know, not to spend this show on history, but uh, Carbon, legacy compatibility, move your existing apps forward. Coco, the way to go with new stuff. Um, with the way things are right now, I don't, I'm not sure that the message is quite so clear about where do you go? What's the best way to build new stuff right now with Catalyst? with Swift UI and with uh, just the classic AppKit APIs not being the opposite of deprecated, still being as robustly supported as ever. Like what is, what is the clarity on what should a developer who wants to make a great new Mac app or a great new part of an existing Mac app, what is, what is the message on which, which set of those they should be looking at? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. The The world is pretty significantly different than it was in that first transition. The uh, depth of the app ecosystem is uh, vast right now, and many apps have tremendous investments in technologies, uh, in, in Objective-C code bases, in code bases uh, that make deep, uh, deep use of, of AppKit, UIKit. You know, each, each developer has a different investment there. Um, we certainly want to give all of those developers a great path forward. So the answer of what's the right next step for you as a developer is really going to depend on where you're starting. You know, if you've got a large application that's already very deep in uh, in AppKit, that's a fantastic foundation on which to uh, continue to build. If you're uh, someone who's invested deeply in a UIKit app and you're thinking, hey, I want to bring that to the Mac, I wouldn't throw that away and start over. I'd build on that app with Catalyst to make a great Mac app. Um, if I were a uh, kid uh, coming out of college right now and thinking about building my first app and using, you know, wondering what tools I should use to be most, most productive, I would absolutely pick up Swift and Swift UI. Um, I would build that app with 
the native version of uh, with SwiftUI on AppKit if I were on uh, uh, building for Mac, and I would build it on SwiftUI for uh, UIKit on uh, iPad and iOS. Um, so, but you have tremendous flexibility there. And actually, if you um, have had a chance to watch some of the SOTU and so forth, we've even made cross-platform app development with SwiftUI easier than ever. You can just create a project template that says, I want this app to be cross-platform with the following platforms, and it'll make it really easy to pick what code is shared, which code is Mac-specific, et cetera. It'll use the um, at kit, app kit idiom on, on Mac of SwiftUI and the UI kit idiom uh, on, on iOS. Super easy, incredibly productive. Uh, so, so all of, all of these, uh, these options are, are available. And I think the, the, the right starting point just depends on where you're starting from. So you don't feel that it is a duplication. You feel that it's almost more like a broadening of it. it it's where developers are coming from and it's sort of giving them more to choose from, but without overlapping. Yeah, I do. Now, we, we of course, are uh, finding opportunities to reuse technologies in the right place. So, uh, you know, Swift UI on, uh, when you bring up the color picker, if you're on UI kit, uh, you get a, a particular UI picker that's uh, uh, for, for iPad and, uh, and iPhone. If you're on the Mac, you get the rich app kit color picker. So you get the right one for the platform you're on with all the fidelity and what users expect on those, those platforms. And that's not, that's not duplication. That's tailoring to the environment. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go to the single most important question about Mac OS Big Sur, and that's the version number. <laughs> Turning it up to 11. <laughs> it was time. <laughs> it was time. Uh, there, there are, you know, uh, we, we certainly had a lot of, a lot of uh, internal discussion on, uh, on the right moment, and we felt with some of the 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 way in which this operating system is enabling the next phase for the Mac mm-hmm. in terms of supporting Apple Silicon, that was a momentous occasion. And we felt that some of the deep infrastructural uh, changes actually that have happened to enable that transition are also uh, pretty fundamental. Uh, and so it, it was it was the right moment for that uh, that symbolic move uh, to to eleven. We feel it's 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 well deserved. And the biggest design refresh. Since the introduction, it of cer- Mac OS certainly yeah. has been absolutely. Yeah. Um, it is the the the. Is it funny? I don't even know if it's funny. Is it ironic? I I get mixed up which word it is, but it seems. <laughs> I, I'm not even saying that it's wrong to say let's move the big version number. It's time. It. I'm glad somebody other than me did the obvious thing and made the it's time to turn it to eleven. <laughs> um, but we're we're left in the funny situation where iOS and iPad OS are at 14 and Mac <laughs> is at 11. We had that discussion as well. <laughs> so you are do insightful. we take yeah, do ahead. we take the Mac straight to 100 or something? Like what is the next number? I don't know. It was a tough call. Very tough call. I it think is. it works. <laughs> <laughs> we think it's going to work out though in the end. We're going to make it, it through this together. 
If I wanted to go back to my old shtick where I anthropomorphize parts of the software, it, it would be funny to, t- t- somehow, <laughs> somehow paint Mac OS as being vainglorious and lying about its age. <laughs> 14, oh, I'm only 11. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, John. Nice. <laughs> I do. I, I I do want to talk about the new UI and yeah. Um, I I have to say overall, you say lots of transparency. I get a little worried, but again, I have spent some time with it in the last twenty four hours, and I like it. It it feels usable, and you know my concern <laughs> with well, it's it, but it's pretty simple where. Yeah. The the UI metaphors on iOS and iPad OS and certainly on a watch don't involve layers of windows on top of each other. And so you can do things that have transparent effects and you don't have to worry about a whole stack of stuff. Whereas the single, to me, most defining characteristic of what is the difference at a at a very broad level of between using a Mac and using an iPad. Uh, is that you have windows and they are stacked on, they can be stocked, stacked on top of each other. You pull down a menu from the menu bar, it goes over content. Um, in practice, one day in, it all seems to, to be much more, uh, or much less, um, uh, it's, it's more readable than, than I would have, than I was worried. Right. Yeah, no, we, I've certainly been living on it for quite a while now and, uh, I love it. Uh, you know, I know, uh, understandably our, our Mac users are uh, very attached to the the interface (laughs) they use all day long. And it's amazing what feels natural and right, uh, so often is simply a function of what you're used to. You know, in the first moment, you see something that's different, and you you you're you're not quite sure about it. Especially something you're so attached to as the Mac, and so it's it's inevitable when we release uh, a new design that some people are going to have uh, strong feelings in all directions. Uh, I can just say that uh, I've been living on it for quite a while now. Uh, I love it. Uh, I think it really, to me, it, it's become uh, it has that that feeling of. Uh, being naturally Mac and inevitable in a way, and yet being new, and and now when I go back to my other systems, they they just feel uh, feel a little bit yesterday. Uh, I think I think many many of our our users are, are going to come to that conclusion themselves after about a week of uh, of just enjoying it. So uh, I love it. I think Alan and team uh, did some fantastic design work, um, and you know, some, many of the conventions of the UI have been. Uh, you know, making things rounder, for instance, uh, selections, uh, making selections round. It, round is really natural organically in, in the world. Go look for perfectly rectilinear surfaces. They're all like man, man-made and industrial. Otherwise, they don't exist in nature all, all, almost. Uh, and so, uh, but they're, they're, they're more expensive to do computationally. Uh, and then you need higher resolution displays to make curves look great. Well, we now have the computation. We now have the great displays. Um, so I, I love that we're able to, to build an interface that just looks uh, so clean and so uh, so natural throughout. Uh, so I'm I'm obviously a fan, uh, and uh, I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying it as well. Yeah, and of course you'd be in favor of more rounding, says the guy in a 
perfectly circular building right now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's rubbing off on us. <laughs> but I do agree because, you know, the, the basic shape, you know, you're, you're in mail and you select a message and the basic at a basic idea is, well, it's a rectangular selection, but rounding it off, it does, it gives it a, a bit of an organic feel. And honestly, I mean, just this, just, just be obvious. It, it, that, that harkens back to 1984, where the original Macintosh had the corners slightly rounded off, and it gave it a, a slightly more organic feel. The OK That's button, right. the classic OK and cancel buttons from the original Mac in 1984, they weren't rectangles. They were round rects. That's right. Yeah. Well, and translucency goes back to Mac OS X when we right. were doing that, and 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 you know it's a natural thing for the Mac. And I and I agree with Craig. I think what Alan and team have done, and certainly with Craig and his team's help, is create something that's so fresh yet so instantly familiar uh, to all of us uh, who are Mac lovers. Uh, I love it as well. I think they've done a great job. Yeah. I I think that uh, the wow factor is definitely there. Right. And that's the dance. That's, that's the thing where Apple to take it to the Apple level is that to really call this a success, it has to be both a very effective interface for work as a tool. That's fundamentally what the Mac is, but it also has to look awesome. That's, that's the standard. And I think that the fear maybe from, uh, you know, people who are more afraid that you guys are worried about, let's just make it look cool and let the, let it be a practical work user interface fall secondarily. But you guys, you know, I, I believe it. I know that you guys say that on the show, but I happen to know you guys do. You guys live on these betas. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> 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 and so do all of our engineers, you know, and uh, and they are the most uh, passionate and outspoken group internally. If if uh, if they're not feeling great about something, so we we uh, we put these designs through the ringer for all right. sure. All right, uh, and starting next month, we'll welcome millions of our friends to join these bases <laughs> yes, as well. To join us. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's move on to Apple Silicon for Mac, which is truly a it is. It's historic, and it is. It, it goes up there with the the transition to Intel, with the software transition to Mac OS X, and and the original hardware transition to PowerPC. Um, I know, and I'm not going to sit here and ask you. Well, tell me all the details about the actual hardware that's going to be built using Apple Silicon. I know that that's. This is the, not that it's outside your comfort zone, but that it's not so usual that you guys do a sort of half-step introduction where here's the first step. This week, we're going to tell all of our developers about, and the world about this transition that's happening at the end of this year, next year, and you know, can't wait to show you what the hardware is, but we want developers to get started on it now. But because it's a half step, you, you've got this situation where people can, are, are going to inevitably judge the hardware based on the dev kit hardware that you're releasing starting yesterday, actually, to, yeah. to developers. Well, we tried to make it super clear. Yesterday was not a consumer product launch. Right. Right. It was just as you said, it was aimed squarely at developers to explain to them 
and the world why we were going to do what we were going to do, uh, having uh, you know Tim and Johnny explain the benefits to to Apple Silicon. In order to get developers to see the value of that to both the Mac and then uh, doing the work for their apps, uh, we're not anywhere close, uh, obviously, uh, to doing the consumer level uh, of, of you know introduction, which will be an entirely different sort of thing. So I don't really look at it as a half step. They're just two different steps, mm. right? And yesterday was really all about developers. Right. Um, you're, you're certainly right that those of us who do know about what's coming are very excited. But you can imagine Apple would not go down a path like this um, without uh, uh, feeling like there were tremendous, uh, that it was a tremendous step for the Mac in the future and with all the, the understanding of what it would bring and all the excitement about what it could bring. So we, we, we are excited to tell the full story and the fullness of time. Uh, but, but right now, I think um, hopefully developers know enough um, to both be uh, be excited and compelled to to uh, get on board and do their part, um, and uh, but there'll be there'll be lots of other exciting announcements uh, to come. Uh, but the you know even even that that uh, DTK developer transition kit um, hardware, which is running on a you know a, a, an existing iPad chip that that we you know don't intend to put in a, a Mac in the future. It's just there for this this transition. Um, I think people will find the Mac runs awfully nice on that. That system. It's not a basis on which to judge future Macs, of course, but uh, but it gives you a sense of of uh, uh, what our silicon team can do when they're not even trying, and they're going to be trying. <laughs> <laughs> it's also worth adding, John, and, I, and you know we are also trying to get people used to the idea that you know Intel systems are going to be around for a long time. Right. right, we're going to continue releasing versions of macOS for years to come to support our Intel-based Macs, uh, and we still, as as Tim said, we still got some Intel-based Macs to introduce, right? That we're super proud of, uh, and this transition is going to take a couple of years. So this isn't like we flip a switch someday and it's you know all one and it's all the other. You know, this are you know how these things are. They're transitions. Right. Well, and I think our current Macs are found fantastic. And, Mm. you know, people, people ask me all the time, is it a good time to buy a Mac? Uh, Well, the obvious answer is it's always a good time to buy a Mac. (laughs) If you want a Mac, do not hold back. You should buy a Mac. But of course, it's a great time to buy a Mac. And our Macs uh, have never been better. They're, they're awesome. And they're going to continue to be awesome for, for years to come. And, and, well, and just to even emphasize more on that point, I put my money where my mouth is. I bought my uh, daughter, who's off to college in the fall, a 16-inch MacBook Pro uh, ooh, yesterday. Nice. So, yeah, she scored big time. Uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, you know, putting my money where my I mouth is. My daughter is. is not watching this. You, <laughs> you, you get an employee discount, though, Josh. Right? There might have been a little bit of a discount, but it's not as much <laughs> as it should be if uh, whoever owns the discounts is listening. <laughs> um. I think one of the interesting things is that you guys, as a company, there's, there's a lot of continuity over a long stretch of time. And the, the transition from PowerPC to Intel was 15 years ago. That was announced at WWDC in 2005. There are a lot of parallels here. We can even talk about it. You're even calling the emulation layer. I mean, emulation might be the wrong technical word. Sorry, Craig. But, right. you, you know, the compatibility layer. Rosetta, for, yeah. Is Rosetta 2. Uh, you guys even talked about the fact that it was so successful before. And, and truly, and I know a lot of times with software, you're like, well, it's a success if the user doesn't even notice. 
But that is literally the definition of technology like Rosetta is you double click an app and it opens and it's familiar and it just the app looks and does what you expect it to do. And you have no idea that at a computer science level, something as complicated as an app that was compiled for Intel is running on Apple Silicon, which is an entirely different instruction set. But one of the things that I think is true from the previous transition is it wasn't like uh, late-stage buyers of Power, Power Macs and PowerBooks felt burned once the transition happened. It's, you know, they had years of support too, and they were. it wasn't like they felt like left out of the, the, the Mac platform. It was a very smooth transition that if you bought one of the first Intel Macs, you had a great system. But if you bought one of the last PowerPC Macs, you also had a great system and it had years to come. I will ask, I have to, what? how many years are years to come for support for uh, Intel Macs and Mac OS? Years. Years. <laughs> I believe the words we used. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we got a lot of uh, customers on Intel-based systems, so you know we're, we're yeah. pretty good at taking care of our customers. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. Well, all right. I, I I do I do believe that. But let me let me talk on this because I think it ties into the both. It, it Big Sur Mac OS Big Sur is one operating system that will run on it, it will run on the, all of the Macs that are out today. Intel Macs it. Tim even mentioned are still in the pipeline to come out that haven't been announced yet. And it will be the current version of Mac OS X once these new Macs based on Apple Silicon come out. There's no real reason for users to be worried that there's a different, significant difference in the Big Sur experience between the two platforms. Correct. They're going to look and feel yeah. the same on both. Right. Yeah. Because I know, there, there, and here's the, here's where I'm going is I've seen in day one that there has been some, to me, misreading the message, but some some coverage along the lines of uh, Apple is moving the Mac to its own silicon to further lock in, insert either developers or users or both users and developers that this is this is to increase lock in. And I, I just have to ask what, you know, I, I don't see it because I've seen these announcements and I, I don't see where that's coming from in terms of any, any aspect that was announced. Uh, I think those guys are being total tools, honestly. I mean, I don't know where you'd, <laughs> <laughs> where you'd even begin to, begin to come up with that theory. Uh, not, not at all. These, these Macs are Macs. The, the future uh, Apple Silicon-based Macs are, are Macs, the way they, the way they install software. I mean, I had people coming up and asking me, like, can you still launch Terminal? Like, yes, you can. <laughs> like, I mean, these are Macs. Right. Uh, we're, not, we're not changing, changing any of this. Right. So, and I, it, it ties back to my question from earlier, which is that people, either they, either they have the suspicion or it's just the fear that you guys don't like the Mac. And now here's your excuse. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's exactly like an iPad. And it, it, you know, there is no terminal app on iPad. And I, I think appropriately, you know, it's, it's, I'm not even putting it up as a criticism. It's just the, it, it, yeah. it's, a, it's a perfect example, though, to put your finger on as to the sort of thing that is different about what you might want to do on an iPad and what you, a lot of people, especially people who listen to my show, 
really find, you know, it's part of their work on a Mac is opening up a terminal and doing all sorts of crazy stuff in a terminal. Yeah, I look, I, I want people to uh, absolutely look at these, uh, look at these Silicon, uh, Apple Silicon based Macs and uh, judge us by our deeds. I just don't know. I, I don't even know what we need to do at this point to have people understand uh, how much uh, we we are committed to making Max, Max, and keeping the Max, and we we go to tremendous efforts actually to um, to continue to keep that true. I mean, to find ways to um, advance security in an environment that we believe, like the Mac, uh, should be open to hobbyist experimentation and things. These are things we put. You know, the fact that we have these different modes to. Explicitly turn off system integrity protection, right? Why, why did we do that? We didn't have to. We did it because right. we we want Mac users to who want to do hobbyist things to have that kind of power. I mean, we continue to to demonstrate over and over uh, how we how we feel about this. So, um, you know, speculation to the contrary, I just think is uh, is not founded in in the evidence. And I think we'll right. put another a very clear data point up on the board right. uh, when people look in greater detail at these systems. Right. So. Just one, just quick, Mac App Store still going to be just as great as ever for Macs based on Apple Silicon, but it's not the only way to get apps on. It. Of course, of course not. No, right. you can you can distribute apps exactly the way uh, you do today on the Mac, and of course we we talked explicitly about how you can build your apps as universal and distribute a single binary uh, that works both on Intel based Macs and Apple Silicon based Macs you can distribute them in exactly the same way that you all the the same set of ways right. uh, you do today on on the Mac right and which is great and again that gets to the you don't have to worry about it and I can have the same copy of an app on my brand new Mac based on Apple Silicon and my son, who, you know, I'm going to stick with my old Mac, can have the same copy of the Mac. You double click it. It's the same thing because it's a universal binary. It has the Intel built in. It has the native Apple Silicon compiled code built in. You don't you have to worry it. about it. Um, so let's move on. So as we transition to iPhone and iPad, there's a natural transition point here, which is that the one very cool sounding feature that is different about, will be different about Macs running on Apple Silicon is that they will be able to run iPhone and iPad apps. Just run them. You just, it's not like Catalyst where there's a transition element. You just get a copy of it, you double click it, it launches and you can use it. What is the thinking there in terms of which type of apps this is useful for? Yeah, I think it, it, I think there's some apps where, um, I think it absolutely makes sense for the user and the developer uh, to invest in tailoring an app distinctly uh, for the Mac and uh, investing in a, a Catalyst version of, of the app. Uh, and then there are cases where uh, you may have a, a simple game to say that, you know, honestly, today those often have full screen experiences, simple controls. Um, they work just Fantastic! Out of the box, there's there's no reason for the developer necessarily to have to do any work to adapt the app in order to provide a great out of the box experience, and they can get that directly. Now, by the way, I think um, developers will want to, uh, in many cases, make that effort to recompile their app using Catalyst so that they can reach all Mac uh, all Macs out there because the install base of Macs that are uh, Intel based. Uh, 
don't have this ability to run iOS uh, and iPad apps directly because they don't have the uh, same instruction set. So if you build your app universal with Catalyst, uh, everybody can run it. Uh, all Macs can run it. Um, but the uh, in, uh, Apple Silicon-based Macs have the unique capability to run apps that the developer didn't even ever take that that step to to rebuild them at all. They 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 uploaded them to the um, iOS App Store originally and uh, didn't choose to uh, opt them out of being available on the Mac. Mac users can download and and run them. And uh, I, I know there are lots of little apps where the developer maybe uh, just never bothered to build a Mac app where I'd much rather use that app than use their their website or, or have total lack of support altogether. And so I, I think this is going to be a really welcome uh, feature for, for lots of users around, you know, I mean, it's millions of apps on the on the app store so it's fantastic to have access to them is this going to be an opt-in system where let's say i do have i have an app it's only an iphone app will i as submitting it through to the app store is it like a i would like to make this app available to mac users too but i could also not check that box and keep it from being available because maybe That's i right. m- yeah, maybe there, i just know it's no good. A, there's literally a checkbox uh yeah. when you when you uh ex- go through the upload of an app or the signing of the uh, terms and conditions, the new terms and conditions for the the app store to uh, decide for your apps, which of them you'd like to make available for the Mac and, and which ones you wouldn't. And I, you know, some developers may say, Hey, based on the nature of my app, it, I don't think it makes sense on the Mac. I don't, I don't want it there. Um, maybe they already have a Mac app that they, uh, that they provide separately. And they're saying, no, that's the version I want my Mac users to, to use. They, they have that. That's all in their control. Yeah. Um, Let's get real nerdy a little bit. All right. And one of the things that I know (laughs) is really important to developers in the last few years, maybe more than ever, are, I'm going to broadly call it virtualization, but I know you guys even mentioned it in the keynote, but technologies like Docker, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, without teaching a developer class on what that means, but basically it's a way to set up a development environment on your local system as a developer. You have a copy of what's going to be pushed to the to the cloud, you commit your changes, then it goes up to the cloud and a, a virtual version of what you'd been testing on your machine is now running in the cloud. And I think there was some concern over this hardware transition that, you know, if every if you're running Intel hardware on your Mac and Intel hardware in your cloud environment, you're okay. What's, what's the story? Like you guys are aware of that developers are using this on Macs, right? Of course, of course, and you know the the, the fact we we uh, uh, mentioned virtualization in in the keynote was uh, partly a nod to uh, we think people's interest in the topic. Uh, so we we have uh, created a uh, new version of our virtualization framework that makes it even um, easier to do uh, virtualization on on the uh, all Macs, including uh, these new Macs. Uh, now the virtualization when you are running on ARM is still running. Uh, a uh, ARM-based version of Linux, say. So it's not that you are virtualizing uh, x86 operating systems on top of Apple Silicon. You're running... Now, usually uh, things like Linux, they're already very cross-platform. And so there are full ARM distributions of those and they run great on, uh, on Apple Silicon. Uh, so that's, that's really the, uh, the story there. And increasingly, um, 
So you could you could build you could build your your container uh, for ARM, uh, test it locally on your uh, Mac. Uh, if depending on what cloud you're using, you know Amazon increasingly has ARM-based uh, deployments in the cloud. So you could deploy your container in the cloud as ARM, or uh, or you could recompile it and compile uh, distribute it, or rather deploy it as Intel. Um, so. A uh, lot of flexibility to run a lot of different operating systems uh, virtualized on these on these new Macs. All right. Speaking of other operating systems and not virtualized, one phrase that I did not hear in the keynote was boot camp. And yeah, that's that's right. So so um, actually direct booting. Uh, I mean, of course, we couldn't direct boot those machines to an x86 version of Windows, which is what today's boot camp uh, does. Uh, but we're we're not direct booting an alternate uh, operating system. Uh, it's purely virtualization is right. is the route. But these these um, hypervisors can be very efficient. So um, the need to direct boot shouldn't really be the concern. I think. Okay, but you guys are aware that you know you're on it. You've got oh, a story. We've, we've heard about it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, I want to move on to iPad and. Mm. I so it's I, it, the parent name for the feature I think is Scribble, but it's it's yeah. uh, it, it is um, to me uh, I think Apple Pencil has been a huge success. I love Apple Pencil, I really really do. But I really it, it's really this is one of those great moments in a keynote where it's like I didn't even really complain about this, but it's like you guys were reading my mind where it's like a text message comes in. I've got my pencil in my hand already. I just want to like write the answer. And yeah. that's, that's the story, right? Yep. A- ab- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, we're not trying to steal away from, you know, the keyboard as a uh, efficient way to enter text, but there's so many moments when if you're, if you're doing a pencil centric kind of thing, that's, that's, that's the mode you're in, right? That's the tool in your hand and the ability to just jot something into a search field, add it to a reminders list, uh, or, or uh, write a reply uh, in messages. In any context where there's uh, a normal text field that would normally bring up the keyboard, uh, you can now write in your own handwriting and have it converted in, into text. It's, uh, it's quite liberating and, and you know, totally universal. Uh, so we, we think it's, it's going to be really exciting. Um, and we've also made big uh, improvements to the way that you take notes because uh, one of the most popular things we see people doing with with pencils, of course, is is taking notes. And I, I think that's partly because you can uh, you know throw in a quick conceptual diagram right around the text uh, you're drawing. You know, just uh, and the spatial way of of uh, organizing things is, is really helpful with a pencil. Um, but in the past, and I, I've been a, a heavy note taker in the past as well. Um, there are ways in which text, when it just behaves like ink, just you miss certain things from mm-hmm. typing. You know, you just want to say, like, could I just open up a space here to, to write another word in? Um, or could I select some text and not have it, like, grab one line of the diagram that happens to be nearby? And so we've really been able to take advantage of um, machine learning-based perception uh, in, a really, in a way to make something just work the way you'd like and, and have it understand, like, this is text. These are lines of text. So when it comes time to make a selection, move something around, it completely understands uh, kind of what, what you've done. And so in a very natural way, it just does what you want. You know, you can select the text, and it'll select just the text and not the graphics. If you want to convert that text uh, into 
uh, type text to insert in another document. It can do that automatically. Uh, it's, I think it's just a really great way to make Pencil just that much more uh, expressive and useful. Jaws, it feels to me like with this emphasis on the pencil that this is a very iPad as what iPad does best sort of advance of the state of the art for the iPad user experience. I mean, can you speak to that? Is it? Uh... Yeah, well, I'd even start even more basic than that. You know, we look at the iPad as incredibly and fully functional out of the box without adding anything to it. You know, it's it's uh, it's a multi-touch system that relies on your fingers, and you can you know be happy as can be. But yet, we've given you some ways to extend it, right? We've given you the ability to put a hard keyboard on it, and as you know, we introduced the Magic Keyboard a short while ago, and people love it, right? The way it allows your iPad you know, Pro to float above the the keyboard, and people love that. But of course, the pencil experience, as Craig said, we're extremely bullish on. You know, we have a pencil experience that's way beyond what anybody else can do on their tablets. Uh, it, it's incredible. The the It just feels so real. I mean, you're a user of it. If you're not a user of it, I, I guess you wouldn't know what we're talking about. But it doesn't feel like you're doing some sort of digital thing. It just feels like a real pencil that you're drawing on the screen. And what Craig and, and his team have done here is allow us to extend that experience to, as we said, to never have to put it down if we're in that mode. It's it's that magical kind of thing you expect from Apple. And I think they've really delivered. You guys, I mean, the handwriting recognition is something that Apple has a long history with. Uh, <laughs> as does the whole industry. I mean, it's sort of been, it, it is, you know, it, it's in the broad sense of artificial intelligence, can you read a person's handwriting is, is, you know, it's pretty, you know, pretty standard test along those lines. And it's proven over the years to be tricky. This, it sounds like you guys have mentioned machine learning in the context of handwriting recognition yeah. multiple times. I mean, it, it, it seems like that might be the, uh, not to overuse the term, but the the Rosetta Stone of of unlocking this ability for computers to uh, to actually understand our handwriting. And can you speak to uh, just how bad your handwriting can be, and you still might expect it to work? <laughs> well, you well, may remember to- Toby's demo last year at WWDC, which yeah. I think was was evidence that if it can understand that handwriting, it can understand anybody's. We love you, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we think it can generally uh, read your handwriting better than most other humans can, uh, uh, which, which of course is, is uh, uh, depending on the handwriting. If it's Toby's, that's uh, that's a small number of humans. Uh, but uh, machine learning has been a, a huge leap for many perceptual tasks, and handwriting is absolutely one of them. And you think of the number of ways that people do their stroke orders, how they go back and sort of fix things up and insert things. I mean, it's just an incredibly messy and diverse uh, way that people actually create their text. And so uh, it turns out that's the kind of task that machine learning has been so well adapted to. And so we've done tons of data gathering uh, around the world, many, many different scripts, all kinds of different handwriting uh, to pick all of that up. And uh, our accuracy rates have just been you know, way better than we could uh, achieve with other techniques. And, uh, you know, it continues continues to get better. Uh, and so I feel like we're 
we've 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 crossed a line into a place where it's uh, you're not fighting it anymore. It's just you're kind of surprised it, it it you know that it keeps writing things that you can't read anymore that you right. wrote. Mm. Uh, you know, so it's it's good. Um, moving on to I, iOS 14, which is primarily you know it's, it's iPhone, right? Um, the high-level takeaway I took from yesterday's announcements for iOS 14 is that a lot of it, it's really convenience, convenience, convenience. Um, and it, it's a lot of features, and some of them are related to each other, and some of them are not really related to each other. But to me, they feel like they're about the quick hit. The I take my phone out of my pocket and do something, and then I'm in, I'm out, and then it's back in my pocket, and I'm on my way. Um, the app clips, speci- I mean, I don't see how you could phrase it any differently for that, for app clips. That seems to be the whole point of app clips is, here's a thing that you want to have some software to do a thing. Maybe it's to unlock a, a zip car or something like that. Um, but to go from taking your phone out of your pocket to doing it or paying your parking ticket in the garage or something like that. You need a little bit of software running on your phone and it's, well, what do you do? You go to the app store and you search for it and then you install, you know, all of a sudden it's like, I should just use my credit card. Whereas if you can make, you know, what if I just wave my phone at this beacon, it opens up on my screen. I tap a button. I've already got my Apple pay. I'm on my way. You know, the, the gate lifts, I'm, I'm out of the parking garage. I think you nailed it. I mean, there, there yeah. are these experiences <laughs> that you, they, they are so valuable, but so, so brief and so diverse, right? You're going to interact with that EV charging thing here, and you're going to go order mm. from the taco truck there. And it's going to be a different one the next time. And you don't want to collect a bunch of these apps necessarily. You don't want to find them. You don't have to want to wait to download them. You don't want to build an account when you sign into them. You don't want to manage them on your home screen. This is all this friction where there's this value to be had there. But all of that friction would stand in the way of what could be just an an awesome way to use your phone. And so with App Clips, we really focused on how do you take all that friction away and just make discovery super easy. You know, you can see an App Clip code that's visually identifiable. You know that's there. You put your phone up to it, and pretty much instantly you're launched into the app experience. And then the app experience itself is is just streamlined, um, and we avoid a lot of the overhead of you know creating. You, developers don't need to force you to create an account, or they don't need to make you sign up for payment and give your credit card because we already have Apple Pay and signing with Apple, which they can take advantage of to streamline those experiences. And now you're just like, wow, that was just the absolutely fastest way to get this thing uh, done. And so I think we're going to see apps finding their way into our lives in different ways where in the past, it, it just, the, 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 the friction and the diversity of those tasks was such that it wasn't there. Uh, now I think it's going to open up all kinds of uh, opportunities. And I think, so I think developers are going to have a a, a whole new set of opportunities to go after now with app clips. And John, I think you're really onto something because you think about a, a device like the iPhone that we use throughout the day, every day of our life. I mean, we use it all the time and there's so much in here that really is about convenience, whether it's, you know, the stuff we've learned from our, you know, decades of doing widgets back to the early days yeah. of, of Mac OS 10 to what we've learned on watch to be able to get at information really quickly and use the machine learning again to, on a smart stack. 
you know, to get you the information you need at, at the moment you need it without you having to work to get it. The app library, which makes it super easy now to get to the apps uh, that you use without having to try to remember where on my nine pages of apps do I have that one. Uh, it, it's, it, it, you know, those are just examples. I think you're right. I mean, it's just so convenient. And it's just, I've been on this for a while. It, it is by far my favorite version of iOS, which I guess makes sense. But uh, I absolutely adore it. I absolutely adore it. It should get better every year, ideally. It seems like it does. Nice work, <laughs> <That's> Craig. <good. laughs> Glad to move forward once again. I, I think, but yeah, I think you, you identified the theme very, very well. Well, I think one of the hallmarks of Apple platforms all the way back to, to the outset is that it encourages, it, it's this, okay, out of the box, ease of use, the least, you know, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a nerd. You, you can figure it, you know, you don't have to read a manual. You should be able to turn it on and figure it out, but it rewards and I mean it meaning the Mac, iOS, iPad, the watch, it rewards digging deep. And the reward is you get to customize and you sort of get to be your own user interface designer. Um, and, and, you know, the watch has had that with complications and, mm-hmm. It's that's you know it seemed to me like and I, I I apologize to all of our friends on the watch team who it seems have a great update this year with Watch OS seven but we're probably going to pay overall short shrift to on this show but fitness changing the activity app to fitness it's, there's a huge fitness message and I know that that's super popular right here in my household this is the most popular thing about Apple Watch amongst everybody here. Um, but the complication story is that sort of, hey, you can just pick one of these default watch faces that, you know, just turn the watch on out of the box. And we're, you know, Apple's, you know, done its best to make that first watch face look good and give you an idea of what it can do. But if you want to sit there and play around and install some third-party apps and you're into cycling and you want to have two cycling complications on this face, but then you want to have this other face, which is I'm at the end of my day and I want to relax and have this quiet face without a lot of information on it. You get rewarded by being able to design it. And it seems to me like that's what the widget story on the home screen for iPhone is with, with iOS 14. It's You can set up a screen or two that gives you your most used apps, but also now the widgets of this is the stuff I care about. Like at a glance. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the personalization opportunity, the way that you can in, invest in making it your, your own in a way that suits what you want to do. And even uh, in the same way you describe with the watch faces, different pages of apps, you know, I've got my first page and maybe that's when I'm in this kind of state of mind. And I've got these widgets in with these apps. I swipe over to another page. I can have different apps, different widgets based on maybe I'm in a kind of more entertainment kind of frame, frame of mind. You have all, all of that there. And then as Jaws mentioned, we also, for that kind of out-of-the-box smarts, we have the smart stack that can automatically figure out without you having to you know, manually make that investment, hey, maybe here's the thing you want at this, at this moment. Um, and I do think widgets also offer, just like complications, developers an opportunity to play a more integral role in the customer's experience. Like you can, as a developer, build a great widget and now have a presence on their home screen. Uh, if they, if, if you earn it, you know, if they want right. it, if it's a value to them, uh, you can play an even bigger role in the 
the sort of mainstream UI experience even outside your app right on their on their home screen. So we think this is going to be uh, hopefully really great for them as well. So here's a question that I had about, um, and, and I'm not even sure what to call it, but the, the idea that you could have, let's say, two or three curated by you first home screens on, a, on your phone, and then you can have the rest of your apps, which maybe today in iOS 13 is eight, nine pages of apps. And, you know, it, it, I thought it was a very tacit acknowledgement of, look, we know we use iPhones too. Your, your seventh page of apps is not as well organized as your first. <laughs> right. It isn't, right? It's, For sure. It's, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it, but you can, you can literally like say, like, you know, here's an app you use once in a while. You don't want to delete it, but you only use it, you know, when you're at Disney World and you only go to Disney World every two years, but you don't want to delete it. You, you can, you could, you could move that app so it's not even on a home screen. It's only in your app library. Is that the term? That's right. right. That's exactly right. Um, in fact, you know, once you turn on uh, app library, you could get a new phone. You could, uh, you could be living with with app library, and as you download new apps, by default, uh, we won't start adding new. Uh, home screen pages because once you've hidden pages you've kind of said like look i just want these two pages we're not going to add a third when you download a new app that app's just going to appear in the recently uh added area of the app library and of course also in whatever category it belongs in and you're not going to accumulate a, a bunch more pages that you need to go hide again later you just stop accumulating but if one of those apps is like you know i i really use that all the time i want to incorporate that into my daily routine you drag it right out of the app library and plop it on one of your curated pages. Uh, so you you now have the, the flexibility to decide when you want to elevate an app to being in one of those pages uh, you manage rather than just having it sort of pile on off into infinity in, in the, uh, the, the what can be for some of us a bit of a garbage dump of, of uh, you know, past downloads. <laughs> not, not that any of the apps are garbage. They're all top-notch stuff. I just want to be clear. Uh, <laughs> Nice, Jew- nice dump of jewels. <laughs> Your disorganized jewelry box. <laughs> yes, my dis. There you go. There's an analogy. Much better. You should be a marketing, John. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has ever told me that before. Uh, actually, I was thinking, Jaws. I was thinking, Craig is the guy who might be in the wrong division here. He's the guy who might. Be, you might want to think about. <laughs> you know, no way. way. We have given him the honorary title. Uh, of crack marketing collaborator yeah he is drug fueled uh so that's half half the battle uh now we we as you can tell from wwc uh keynotes we have a great time doing those keynotes i think it it shows on craig's uh, expression on his face despite the fact that we drag him through hours and hours of, of, (laughs) of, of work on this but uh he he definitely feels like part of the family uh let to be part of the family (laughs) <laughs> Let me close this out with the catch-all category of privacy. And the reason, yeah. and, and we can go into details, maybe we will on certain things, but there's no way. Again, this is a topic that we could literally do a two-hour show just about the privacy stuff. But to me, it, it speaks to helping people understand Apple, what you guys are doing now, and, and what you really mean. And 
I really do think that to understand Apple and what you guys are doing, you have to, I think it, it, it is the honest truth that you guys truly care about privacy. It's not just a, hey, we've got our finger in the wind and we can tell that the world is caring a little bit more. It's more, we've been caring about this for a while and we've been here and built this these these multiple frameworks and we're ready for the world to pay more attention to privacy. Yeah. I mean, th- this, this is one where I, it's, it's been hilarious to go through it because for a great deal of time, the story was, Oh, Apple, they've got some bizarre privacy fetish. They're going to lose out on the machine learning revolution right. because they seem to have some weird, right. You know, it's like users, the story was always users don't actually care about privacy. We live in a post-privacy world and what's Apple's hang up? Uh, And then as soon as privacy, as soon as like the inevitable happened and people started to wake up and realize like this, there's some creepy things being done by some some people – then it was, oh, Apple, that's a privacy is a marketing strategy. Like, hold on. Back when it was like the anti-strategy, well, how did it become a marketing so strategy? So true, so a, true. I, I, don't, I don't even begin to get it. But, I mean, the truth is you, you, can, you can go back to videos um, uh, of, of Apple from literally 35 years ago and find us talking about personal computing and why it's about – having control of your own data and not being, you know, using the mainframe or mini computer where someone else owns your data and then it's yours and that box of floppies is, you know, is your data, right? And that is deep in in our DNA here at Apple. We've cared about privacy uh, really since the beginning of the company. And those of us that weren't in the inside at the beginning of the company develop those values and expectations as part of the Apple community on the outside. And we bring it here and we continue to attract more people like us who believe that uh, for the future of humanity, it's an important thing that we show the way toward protecting people's privacy. Uh, you know, and honestly, as excited as I am about everything else we've talked about here today, if I think about 100 years from now, what good someone will look back and say, what's the most important impact Apple had? If we show the way to the world, if we, we have people realize that they have a right to expect privacy as they deal with technology, if we help show the way to the industry to uh, follow some reasonable best practices and uh, practices and respecting user privacy, that will be one of those massive contributions to society and mankind as, as a whole. And so we, you know, marketing be damned, we, we care about it uh, a tremendous amount. And every year uh, there's a host of opportunities and problems to be solved to continue to raise the bar and it's a journey uh, and it's we a journey do. it is yeah. it is a journey it is yeah you're, you're never going to be done with it um but we made a bunch of announcements this year about protections around and transparency around tracking um there are a bunch of uh, other things that we didn't even uh have time to cover in the privacy section that people are are starting to uh to learn about uh but you know everything we design these days, uh, we consider privacy from the outset of that process. It it really is just how we think about products, and so um, we're going to keep talking about it. But yeah, Craig, it, Craig's it, right; we we're doing it long before it was uh, before it was popular. That's for sure. I used to say <laughs> the only people that ever really seemed to nod their heads when I would explain what we're doing for privacy were the Germans. They've always taken it serious. <laughs> uh, everywhere else, they're like, "Yeah, whatever," uh, until. 
more recently. So <laughs> let me, and again, we could get specific on several dozen things from the keynote. I'm sure there are actually other privacy-related ones because I really do think it permeates everything you guys are doing. Um, but I want to talk about one in particular, which is the facial recognition for people ringing a doorbell. If you have a smart mm. home doorbell with a camera and it does facial recognition and your, I guess your phone can tell you, hey, Jaws is at the door because it knows Jaws. Yeah. Turn the lights off. Pretend you're not home. <laughs> right. But <laughs> I knew that's what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> or, well, but facial recognition has been in the news and it has been in the news, not related to Apple specifically, but just in a broad sense that it, 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 it people are becoming aware that this can be used as, as a broad technology um, in ways that people aren't comfortable with, in ways that yeah. most people would agree are a bad idea. So can you speak to me, like, if you have one of these uh, smart doorbells that works with HomeKit and can do this, where does the facial recognition occur and how is that private? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you asked because we didn't have time to cover that in the keynote. Um, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, face recognition, if deployed uh, improperly, just like you know, audio recording, if deployed pervasively and and collected, is is surveillance, right? Uh, nor- normal normal video capture uh, could either be a fun way to make family movies or could be surveillance. Uh, it, it depends how you deploy it. So, in in our case, uh, we keep the the video analysis done locally on your uh, HomeKit resident device. That could be your HomePod or your Apple TV in your house. So if you have a camera, doorbell camera or another camera, it actually is securely sending encrypted video uh, over your network to your uh, Apple resident device. All of the video analysis and the facial matching is done locally on that device. That device is then posting a notification to your phone. You know, Apple is not in the middle of that process or your data at all. And if you've chosen to, your video can then also be securely stored, encrypted in HomeKit or uh, by HomeKit in iCloud with uh, encrypted with keys that Apple doesn't have. So you can get back at those video clips if you want and see them. Um, but Apple never has the, uh, or, or no one else, but you have access to the recorded material. So we're, we're certainly focused in just making those cameras uh, for you, that data available only to you, those notifications uh, exclusively to you and your, your phones, uh, all the computation done in your home. On your device. On your device. Right. That is right. And, you know, and I think that that is, and, and it gets to the story that you told from years ago that, oh, Apple isn't interested in machine learning. They have a privacy fetish. You guys were keenly aware of machine learning, and it's it's interesting because if you have uh, Jaws, help me out here. Uh, how many millions of users? Hundreds of millions of users collectively. Uh, over uh, uh, Apple altogether, over a billion. Yeah. All right, so a b- billion users with a B, and you need machine learning to uh, enable the next generation of features and the current generation of features. That's an awful lot of machine learning compute power. And I think the old way of thinking was that compute power only exists in the cloud. 
And the truth is you, and it ties into it is, it is to bring this home. You guys have this amazing Silicon team that are building these incredibly high performance systems on a chip that aren't just CPUs, but, and they're not just graphics, but they've got these neural engines now that have mind boggling numbers of, you know, I know in the camera sense, I forget, I, I, I've talked to you guys about it, but like trillion or something uh, operations a second. It's crazy. Right. Again, teraflop level performance on these chips. Yeah. Right. And that's just like to take your selfie, you know, like to ask, you know, (laughs) it's worth it, man. Right. Um, But this, this performance power is out there in a billion devices that spread around the world and it can just be distributed, you know, your needs from your doorbell to recognize your pal Jaws, who you want to ignore at your doorbell, <laughs> can just, it, it, it can be distributed when everybody has these, this powerful silicon in the devices they already own and control. Yeah, no, you've you've got it, and th- and that's where we're putting our energies is to doing more and more and more on device where it's uh, higher, perf- often higher performance, lower latency, and much more private. And the fact that we can build the right silicon to uh, power those experiences is a uh, is a huge leg up for us in this. But it's it's also extremely compatible with our values. Uh, that about wraps it up. I know that we are running out of time. Uh, I know, um, a couple of years ago, Phil put me on the spot and asked me, are there any other questions that you want to ask? And I drew a blank right there in front of everybody, but let me put you guys on the spot. Is there one thing, let me ask for both of you, one thing that you guys were thinking, boy, I hope Gruber asks me about blank because I really feel like I would like, you know, we didn't give enough attention to it in the keynote yesterday and I didn't get to it. Well, I bought a new shirt for this. I was really hoping you were going to notice that and ask me where I got it, but you know, I hate to have to bring it up. I, Jaws, I have never once asked, wanted to ask where you bought a shirt. (laughs) This is about as colorful as my shirts get. So, I, I don't know. For me, I think you did a pretty exhaustive job. You, you you asked a lot of good questions, and I'm glad we got a chance to uh, explain more than we ever could in the keynote. Because as you know, especially doing the keynote on video, you know, we we wanted to be cognizant of the you, we couldn't keep people watching that forever. As fun right. as it was, you know, we really did have the goal uh, to do, keep it under two hours, uh, and, and we did. We were, I think, about an hour 49 or something like that, which is about a half hour shorter than we've been running over the last few years. So that means that there's some of the detail that we have to get out, of course, is, as Craig mentioned, and so too, and the over 100 developer sessions that we have uh, throughout the week, but also in conversations like this, where we can explain a lot more, you know, breathe a lot more and explain some of the detail, you know, that has to uh, obviously be ignored for time purposes uh, at the keynote. I'll, I'll second that. I think you you hit the high points. I'm really glad we were able to clarify a few things along the way. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's still going to be a ton, ton more to come out later this week. And uh, I've been previewing some of the sessions. There's some great sessions out there and, and the community will uh, comment extensively, I'm sure, on, on what we what we reveal. So it'll be it'll be a summer full of uh, excitement as everyone unpeels all of all of the details behind what we've been doing. 
All right. Well, then let me uh, wrap up here by thanking you guys. I wish and I wish we had seen each other. I look forward to seeing each other again. I think I can speak for you guys and say I, I, I miss seeing uh, the whole WWDC community in person. Uh, it'll happen again. Uh, let me thank Absolutely. our... Let me thank our sponsors for this show, Flexibits, with the fantastic, literally, no pun intended, Fantastical uh, calendar app with the new version 3, which is uh, one of my favorite third-party apps. Cardhop is also a great app from them, which is their contacts app. Collide, which I always want to pronounce Collide because they spell it K-O-L-I-D-E, but Collide has their new MDM coming out at collide.com. There I go, collide.com slash MDM. And last but not least, Scrum Center, where you can get consulting, training, and coaching on agile development. And you can find out more at scrumcenter.com and their secret promo code, which don't tell anybody. Use the promo code TTS for the talk show and you'll save 20%. My thanks to them. My thanks once again, <laughs> lastly, to you, Craig. Jaws, thank you for making this happen. Uh, this, is, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks thank for the you, opportunity. Jen.